Why don't we grab out our Bibles? We're going to turn this morning to Luke chapter 18. Before we do anything else, as you turn there, let me pray and then we'll launch into our time. Father, we just are so thankful for your goodness. Thank you that your mercies are new for us today. Thank you that you provide fresh manna, that you yourself, Jesus, as you came, you said, I am the bread of life, that we can come and partake of the life that we find in you. Thank you for your scripture that is alive, it is active, it's at work. And Lord, as we reflect and ponder upon your word, I ask that it would go deep into our hearts. Lord, open our eyes to see you afresh. Open our hearts to know you and love you more deeply. Lord, transform us to become people who reflect the glorious grace of who you are, who shine as lights in an ever-darkening world that so desperately needs you, the God of hope. Help us in this time through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, you say amen. 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 Well, we're in the midst of this series, taking a bit of a different tack than we normally do. Normally, we'd just preach through a book of the Bible, but we had on our hearts as a, a pastoral team to just focus on this concept and this notion of being a wholehearted people. So we set that up looking at the book of Revelation and Jesus' words to the Ephesian church as he looked down and he commended them for so many good things. And yet he then went on to say, and yet this one thing you have lacked, you've lost the love that you had at first. And it's interesting because if you read through the, the epistle to the Ephesians, they were a church that was known for love. They were, that was something that marked them. And somewhere along the road, they lost that sense of passionate love. And so we're looking at these different aspects that can cause us to lose that sense of being a wholehearted, passionate people. So far, we've covered this progression from distraction to devotion. We're so easily distracted. Look at the passage of Mary and Martha and Jesus. He says, you're so distracted by so many different things. Only one thing matters, to sit at the feet of Jesus. What an invitation that is. And how easily we take that for granted. To sit at his feet, to behold him. And as we behold him, to become more like him. We then looked at him, covered last week, this notion, this concept of moving from grumbling to gratitude. I hope everybody else found that as challenging as I did. It seems like as he talked about our default setting so often is not gratitude. But it's to grumble. And if you're looking for something to grumble about, there's plenty around. If you can't find any, I'm happy to lend you some of mine. There is an abundance of grumbling and things to grumble about. But we need to move to this place of gratitude and what that opens up in terms of our relationship and being with the Lord and being a wholehearted people. And I want to talk this morning about this progressive, this, this um, concept of moving from being a passive people to being a praying people, from passivity to a people who are passionate and passionate in our pursuit and our prayers. So let me set that up a little bit and then we're going to turn to Luke 18 and read a passage of scripture there. What do I mean by passive? Well, a definition literally is this, 
not reacting visibly to something that might be expected to produce manifestations of an emotion or feeling. That's one definition. If you need another one, it's this. Not participating readily or actively. This is this notion of being passive. And you know, there's, there's a phrase that seems to feature in my circles, perhaps in yours. How many of us in recent years have heard this phrase, it is what it is? Now, I know that's a phrase that's been around for generations. I didn't do any research into exactly where it has come from. But it seems to me increasingly over the past few years in particular that everywhere you go and everywhere you turn is this phrase, well, it is what it is. It is what it is. In fact, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, he has a very funny comedic sketch on this particular phrase. He says, everywhere I go... Someone says to me, it is what it is. And if I hear that one more time, you'll have to go and have a listen and see what he says. But it's very funny. It is what it is. It's, it's almost this modern mantra, isn't it? You know, well, how's life going? Well, not so good, but, you know, it is what it is. Not happy in my job, but it is what it is. The health's not very good, but it is what it is. The world's falling apart, but, well... It just is what it is. It is what it is. It's almost this pervading passivity of it is what it is. And I'd love to encourage us that you can search the Scriptures to prove that this is the case, but you will not find that phrase anywhere in the Bible. It's not a Scripture verse. In fact, in many ways... It is very different than what the Bible proclaims. There's this moment, we're not looking at it this morning, we will get to the passage in a moment, I promise. There's this moment where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And of course, he gives them this prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it's the disciples' prayer because he gives it to them. He gives this incredible prayer. He says, pray like this. And there's many wonderful aspects in there. In the midst of the prayer, he says, pray this, Lord, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You notice what is not in there. It doesn't say, just pray, well, it is what it is, and put up with whatever it is happens to be in that particular moment. He's saying this is the prayer, this is the model prayer that he called the disciples to pray. And it's not, it is what it is. We could phrase it this way if you permit me, it is what God wills it to be, or it is what God says it is. He's saying, pray this, Lord, let your will be done, and let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, not just in the future by and by, but let your kingdom come, and let your will be done now. In other words, as believers, and this is setting the scene for where we're going this morning, we're not guided by some sort of passive fatalism. That's not what Jesus said to pray. Just pray it is what it is. Just put up with it. Just resign yourself to the fact that nothing is ever going to change. He says, no, here is what you should be praying. There is the eternal and unfailing purposes and promises of a sovereign God, a God who is at work, a God who is mighty, a God who is able, a God who loves you, a God who says, 
that he's working everything together for your good and for my good, and therefore we're not to be a passive people. We're to be a people passionately praying that his will would be done. Not it is what it is. It is what God says it is. So with that in mind, Luke 18.1, we see this parable that Jesus tells us, he gives to us, and there's many passages. I always struggle. This is why normally I just preach through the book of the Bible, because I think, right, this is what the Lord's saying, and there's just too many passages that we could turn to in this particular area of passionate or persistent prayer. But there's one that always sticks out to me as having great weight and great significance in this area. And it's the parable of the persistent widow. Luke chapter 18. And up front here, let's turn to it together, setting the scene. Jesus is teaching, and we see before he even gets into the parable, he gives us an explanation. It's good that he does, because if we launched into this parable without his explanation, it would be one of those parables, and there is a few, where you read it the first time and you think, what on earth is that about? And not just us, the disciples often come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, can you explain that one? Like, that's, I don't, I don't quite understand. And often Jesus will sit them down and give them the explanation. But Luke 18, 1 says this, Jesus speaking, it says, And he, being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect or for the purpose of encouraging them and instructing them and exhorting them that they ought, here it is, this is the purpose of this parable, that they ought always to pray. How often are we to pray? Always. Not sometimes, not when there's some great emergency before us, when the car won't start, when there's some major obstacle in our way. I mean, they're a good, that's a good time to pray. Now, what a better time is to pray is always. Not just in the midst of it. Always pray. And here's the second part of it. We ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Always praying and not losing heart. Now that word there, that phrase, it literally means to be discouraged, to be wearied, to be utterly spiritless, to be worn out, to be exhausted. So that's the context. Jesus is saying, I want to give you a story that will encourage you to always pray and to not lose heart, to not be discouraged, to not be wearied, to not be passive, but always be praying. And here it is. Let's read it together. Verse 2. He said this, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Are you getting the picture here? Verse 6, it says, And the Lord says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Who's his elect? Put up your hand if you're the elect. Put up your hand if you're not sure. Okay, a few, right. We are are the elect. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them and not just justice, speedily. 
Nevertheless, I mean, that's enough to ponder in and of itself, but he leaves us with this little kind of hook, this little uncomfortable moment. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, and he is coming, and I believe he's coming soon, will he find faith? On the earth. Now, he's not just talking about faith in general. He's talking about this kind of faith, this sort of demonstration of a faith that does not lose heart but continues to pray even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So let's just unpack that a little bit and then jump into how I pray God will encourage our hearts this morning. See, we have here a fascinating story. But it is, if you ponder upon it and delve into the details, it is a story of extreme hopelessness. We have a widow. Now, in that particular era and time, a woman had no legal voice. Her testimony was not valid in a court of law. So here is a widow pleading her own case. She's no one else to plead for her. She is all alone. And not only is that a piece of this hopeless puzzle, but she's coming before a judge who is unjust. He's an unjust judge. He's not interested in justice. He's not interested in anything this woman has to say. Even if this was a just judge, it would be a hopeless situation. But Jesus is painting a picture of extreme hopelessness. And yet, In that instance, even in this hopeless situation, the outcome is that justice prevails. Now, Jesus often does this. This kind of seems a bit confusing, but often he'll use these pictures. He'll say, you know, if if you as an earthly father, I mean, you'd never give your your son a, a scorpion or something that would harm or hurt them. And if you as an earthly father and you're evil and sinful, how much more? kind of this earthly human picture, how much more? And so that's the sense that Jesus is is saying in the midst of an extremely hopeless scenario. He's saying, look at that. And there was justice that prevailed in that circumstance. Therefore, how much more? How much more will justice prevail when two realities? Number one, you are his elect. You're not just nobody. You're not a hopeless widow with no one to plead her case and with a testimony that has no validity in a court of law. You are his elect. You're his chosen ones. You're the ones for whom he's given his life to rescue and redeem. You're his beloved. You're his children. So recognize that. Recognize who you are as you come before the Lord. And the second thing is recognize who he is. He is a just and good judge. He is. So we go from an extremely hopeless circumstance to the ultimate hope, which is the elect, the ones that he is, he is waiting. And what, what, what's on your heart? He's waiting for us to come before him and waiting to move not only on our behalf, but speedily. There's this picture of a God. He's saying, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm willing and able. Who is it that will come before me, even in the midst of things that seem hopeless, recognizing who I am, recognizing who they are, and see the justice that I will act upon swiftly? 
He's willing, he's able, he hears our prayers, and he responds speedily with great haste. He's not going to delay, he's not going to think about it. That's, that's the joy and delight of his heart. And then, of course, we finish with this question, but how much of that kind of faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? Now, I think that's one of many passages that tells us that leading up to his return, we should expect to find ourselves in some challenging circumstances. I know there's streams of theology that, and I don't want to delve into eschatology here too much, just enough to offend everybody and then we'll move on. But there's streams of thoughts that, that suggest that, well, things are just going to get better and better and better. Well, yes, I believe it is, but that's when he rends the heavens and comes down and puts everything right. But until then, Scriptures describe that there's a period of great wickedness, of great trial, of truth being twisted, of men doing what's right in their own eyes. Things are going to feel in the natural hopeless. And I know we've seen some things the last few years, but I think we're just getting warmed up. I'd love to say, no, that's it. We're we're over the hump now. It's all good and glorious from here. But I would be lying. But what I do want to encourage us with is it doesn't matter how hopeless things seem in the natural. There is a God who is willing and able to move. And he's calling us not to be a passive people. Not just to think, well, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. The government's hopeless. The churches are hopeless. My family's hopeless. I'm hope. Everything's hopeless. Nothing is hopeless when you're coming as the elect, the beloved, of the eternal God who has called us and given us his privilege of saying, pray this. Not it is what it is. Ah, it is what it is. But no, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I don't know about you, but I'm not seeing a lot of his kingdom and his will around us in our society, in the halls of parliament. So we've got a lot of things to come before him with, with this sense of persistent prayer, crying out day and night to him, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Will we be a people who give in to the pervading passivity or will we be a people of passionate praying? That's what it's talking about, wholeheartedness. Let's just touch on two aspects of this, and then we'll see what the Lord wants to do this morning. There's there's really two keys in this story that I think are essential for us to grab a hold of. If we're going to move from this place of just passive, just it is what it is, to no, it it is what God says it is. That's what I'm grabbing a hold of. And I'm going to be a person of passionate prayer. Number one is simply this. Prayer is... A priority. Prayer is a priority. And this is what we see in this story so clearly that this was not the added extra. This was not a widow who said, well, I guess I could, you know, come before the judge occasionally, Monday, Tuesdays, every second Thursday. But it just is what it is. You know, it is what it is. If I've got the spare time, then perhaps if there's no better, if there's nothing else going on in my life, then you know maybe there might. There's none of that that sense. There's there's this 
urgency, and there's a woman who, in fact, she recalibrates her whole life around this absolute essential of coming before the judge. This, this is my focus. This is my passion. This is the priority. The great Martin Luther, he said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a follower of Christ, it means to be someone who knows what prayer is. I love as we uh, follow the, the life of Jesus, and we talked a, a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, but he was someone who modeled prayer. He did. He regularly went aside to pray. In fact, I was reading this past week, Mark chapter 1, as Jesus began his ministry. And of course, we know the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And the very first thing is he goes, he's driven by the Lord as he begins his ministry into the wilderness. He spends 40 days and nights with the Lord being tested and tempted. And he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's fascinating, if you read through Mark's account, it says he comes out in the power of the Spirit and begins to minister, and they have this incredible first day of ministry. There's signs and wonders, people getting healed and delivered and, and set free. And the, the, ta- the towns are, are gathering around to hear him again, and the disciples get up the next morning, and they're like, where's Jesus? Where's he gone? This is all chapter 1 of Mark. And they're like, what? No idea. And so they're looking around. I think they're probably in a panic. Have we lost Jesus? What's happened? One day into ministry. And, of course, eventually they find him. What's he doing? He's withdrawn to, to a quiet place to pray. It was like 40 days with the Lord in the wilderness, one day of ministry, and then the next day he's already off. I, you know, I need, again, to spend time with the Lord. Like that was, that was his pattern. It wasn't one day will do me for the next week or the next month. or It's this constant, continual thing that you see in the life of Christ. If he needed it, how much more do we need it? Edwin Harvey, he says this, a day without prayer is a day without blessing, and a life without prayer is a life without power. You ever been in a moment where you've run out of fuel in the car? Anyone ever been moment of honesty and Adam was sharing uh, our last Revive Night on Sunday evening about a moment recently that he ran out of, of petrol. I was smiling to myself because I had this period in college where money was particularly tight. And it almost used to be a bit of a challenge. Just how far can I, can I get without you know, that shudder, shudder, shudder and the car comes to a stop. And there was also $2 hot dog and Cokes at the local... Does anyone remember $2 hot dogs and Coke at the mobile service station? No. Anyway, these are my days of misspent youth. We'll move on very quickly. But you can only get so far, can't you, without fuel in the car before you get that moment of shudder, shudder, shudder. And it's interesting, in recent times, there's a question that continually uh, is asked, as I've seen people, people not doing well, discouraged, wearied, utterly spiritless, worn out, exhausted. And you know what my first question to them is? I say, well, and it's funny because normally the initial response is, and it's, it's all this issue, it's all that issue. It's all the stuff that's going on. It's the boss at work. It's, I say, well, hang on a second. Let's just examine this for a moment. How is your prayer life? Like if you were perfectly honest, if that indeed is, it's like the refilling of the petrol tank. If that's... 
the necessity. A day without prayer is a day without His power. A life without prayer. If prayer is as essential as breathing, if we were to measure the life and the joy and the impact by our prayer life, where would we measure ourselves on that scale? Let's move on. Because the question is this, what can we do to center our lives more around prayer? Prayer is and always will be a priority. Here's the second thing that this story illustrates, and there's only two. Prayer is powerful. Not only is it a priority, but prayer is powerful. See, Jesus is not telling a story here about something that's going to be ineffective, something just to keep us amused. Let me tell you a parable about something that you can fill up your days while you're sucking oxygen on the planet, just something to keep you amused and entertained, just a religious exercise or activity. That's not his heart at all, is it? He's telling a story to illustrate that even in the most hopeless situation, For a people who will persist in prayer, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that reality. Have you ever had one of those emails? I had one this week. I've had many, many, many over the years that uh, pops up in your inbox and it says something like, good news, we've received word from your long-lost uncle And you now have $14 trillion in a special investment account waiting for you to... Anyone had those emails? Eh, Delete, delete. I'd have thought a few times, I thought, what if I just respond and, you know, see what happens? And they're they're a regular occurrence. And we do. We tend to just, you know, disregard them and, you know, or most of us do. I know some have jumped headlong into those sort of um, rabbit warrants. But the reality is, when we read scriptures, there is an inheritance email. There's a true inheritance that far outweighs, I think, anything that we can possibly get our minds around. There's this passage, and I'll I'll quickly give you a few references here. John 14, 15, Jesus spends time with his disciples. It's the final night before he's to go to the cross. And he spends it encouraging them. He spends it giving this picture to say, look, abide in me. Abide in me. There's supposed to be this connection between me and you. And three times in this intimate conversation, he gives them this invitation. Just listen, listen to this. He repeats it three times. John 14, 13. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then three times, one conversation, one evening, you get the sense that Jesus is really trying to emphasize something important. Fifteen, sixteen. you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Like just, just ponder 
these three encouragements or invitations of Christ. Just, just ponder the reality of this. The eternal God. How much power, how much might, how much majesty. What, what are the resources? How many dollars are in the bank account? And Jesus is saying, and here is a blank check. All of it is available. See, prayer is not this invitation to partake of the limit. Well, you know, if you really work hard, then we can kind of scrape you up to some minor answers to prayer. You know, perhaps you, there's none of that, is there? It is a blank check. It's an invitation. Jesus is saying, here's my desire that you bear fruit and all of heaven's power and authority is available to you. It's all on offer. If you'll just learn the secret to abiding in me, partnering with me in his kingdom purposes. Spurgeon said this. I, I love this invitation. And we'll get to, is Ali here or someone to... To just play as we wrap this up. Spurgeon says this, Every believer can and should have a life marked by answered prayer. See, prayer is a, a spiritual discipline. It is. Prayer is necessary. It's the fuel in the tank. But God's called us to prayer for a purpose. And the purpose is this, as we see from this example, that despite the discouragement, despite all the things that are going on, we can look to him and we can be a part, not of the, it is what it is, the passivity. Oh, just, you know, it is what it is. The world's going down the toilet and it is what it is. But he can move us from that place into, well, now hang on, it is what God says it is. And he said that, he desires us to pray that his kingdom would come. That his will would be done for the glory of his name. Even this, this past week, we've had, as a family, just some opportunities to pray. We had a, uh, a little nephew, lives up in Queensland, who all of a sudden, healthy little boy, and he came down with what was a, a life-threatening illness and rushed to ICU, flown by helicopter. Was that serious and significant? You know, there's, there's opportunities in that moment, isn't there, to just give in to passivity. Well, it's what it is. You know, it's what it is. Or, as we did, because we've seen God do incredible things. To grab a hold, as, and, and we did this a family with our kids. I thought, this is a wonderful opportunity. We're going to pray. We're going to pray, and we did. We prayed every day. And praise the Lord, as of, I think it was yesterday, he got released in record time. He's perfectly functioning. I think, um, yeah, praise God. The doctors were amazed at how quickly he'd recovered, and they said, look, you probably don't realize how serious that was. The power of prayer. The prayers of the righteous have great power as they're working. We had a, a meeting here during the week. We hosted the Australian Christian Lobby, gathered pastors and leaders from our city together to talk about some of the 
the changes to the Discrimination Act and certainly as a pastor and leader and talking to to those who gathered. And there was, by the way, there's about 370-odd registered, I think. There's probably a bit over that. I guess I'd say who turned up. It's a full house. Amazing to see that many pastors and leaders of our city together in one room. But there is, there's this pervading sense of hopelessness. Well, the, the, you know, the government's heading down a one-way street. And I don't know about you, but I was watching the news over the last couple of days and just seeing what's happened over in the U.S., where legislation that was introduced some 50 years ago that then provided the, the catalyst moment for some 63 million babies, I believe, who were ripped from their mother's wombs. Organizations that just committed all sorts of atrocities over the last 50 years. And in the midst you see this particular piece of legislation was overturned. You know, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And so, in fact, as a result of the meeting that we had on uh, Tuesday night with the ACL here, I contacted them. I said, you know, what would be great? What would be amazing? It's, It's good to gather around issues. It is, and it's important. But it's even better when we gather to pray and to seek the Lord. And so we're hoping, I think um, the ACL will be sending out some information this week, but to hold a a citywide prayer meeting here Tuesday week to gather anybody of that crowd, anybody else you know who's interested in coming along to pray. And that's my desire is that now, we, we would see the things that are happening around us, be they personal, be they things in our city and nation. And although there is that, that tendency and that drawing into feeling exhausted, discouraged, wearied, utterly spiritless, God, what's, what's the point? It is what it is. It just is what it is. Or does it have to be what it is? Or can it be what God says it is? And can there be a moment where God's people move from that place, from the pervading passivity into passionate prayer? That's my desire. And so I'm, I'm praying that God would stir up something fresh in this area of prayer, in my heart, in our hearts, in our city, in our country, in our nation. Because there is a God. Every time I read that parable, it's just like God saying, come on, come on. I'm here and you're the elect. And I'm the great, and I'm just waiting. Come on. Is there a people? It's an invitation. Will I find a people who can move from that place of passivity into that place of passionate prayer? Lord, let that be where we're found. Can we stand together? And I'll pray for us. Just close your eyes. That's the invitation this morning. Where where are you on that scale of passivity? It is what it is to that place of 
passionate praying where that's that's everything my whole life is is geared toward that it's it's as natural as breathing oxygen there's not a day that goes past when there's not passionate prayer and seeing God move on behalf of the elect crying out to him where are we on that scale of discouraged and weary and utterly spirited worn out and exhausted versus encouragement from Jesus of taking heart take heart of being that people that he desires when he returns a people of passionate prayer so father I want to pray for each and every one of us this morning we thank you for this parable thank you for the encouragement that you give us to look beyond the the hopelessness and look to the God of all hope to move beyond that place of well it is what it is yeah it is what it is to a place where we're proclaiming no Lord it is what you said it is and we're going to pray Lord let your kingdom come let your will be done in our church in our lives in our city. A lot of moving beyond the, the problems that we see around us and grabbing a fresh hold of your purposes, your sovereign hand that is at work. Father, I pray that this morning you do what you need to do to stir up a fresh passion to pray, to seek you. Lord, that it wouldn't be the last resort, it would be the first resort. Father, we want to be found as you return as a people who just continually, continually kept their eyes upon you, who persevered. So we pray through the power of your spirit this morning that you'd help us. Well, I particularly want to pray for anybody who is in that place, a place of feeling discouraged place of feeling disconnected from you and from others I feel like there's at least a few of us here this morning for people who are, are just weary utterly spiritless, worn out and I pray this morning in particular for those people that there would be that capacity to look up and to take heart pray for a deep refreshment the sense I have is just putting the car back into gear you're revving and you're revving and it's just stuck in neutral going nowhere the Lord's saying he's moving you from that place let's pray for attraction the things of the kingdom in Jesus name Jesus name come Holy Spirit this morning just wait upon you Come and do what you desire to do.